Coming up on this week's show, we've got a ton of book recommendations as Jay from Joyfully Jay and Lisa from The Novel Approach join us. This is the Big Gay Fiction Podcast, the show for avid readers and passionate fans of gay romance fiction. Each week, we bring you exclusive author interviews, book recommendations, and explore the latest in gay pop culture. Welcome to episode 260 of the Big Gay Fiction Podcast. I'm Will Knauss, and with me, as always, is my co-host and husband, Mr. Jeff Adams. Hello, everybody. This episode of the podcast is brought to you in part by our remarkable community on Patreon. We'll have more information on how you can join the community at the end of the show, along with a sneak peek of what we have coming up for you next week. Welcome back, Rainbow Romance readers. We have got so many recommendations for you, it's going to blow your mind. But before we get to that, got a little bit of news. First up in the news department, the Big Gay Fiction Book Club episode for September drops this week. It'll be dropping tomorrow on Tuesday. And this month's book is Z.A. Maxfield's St. Nachos. We had such a good time revisiting this gay romance classic. We hope all of you have enjoyed reading it this month. If you've read it in preparation for this episode, or perhaps you've read it years ago, it's one of my all-time favorite gay romances, and I'm so glad that we made it a book club pick. So you can look for that in your podcatchers this week. Some other news that we've got, we recently launched on Amazon Music. About a week ago, Amazon Music started a podcast channel on their service, and now we are available right there. So if you're listening to Amazon Music and want to pop over to the Big Gay Fiction Podcast through that service, you can certainly do that. It also means we're really handy to ask for now on your Amazon device, whose name I won't mention because I don't want to turn yours on right now. You can ask that device to play Big Gay Fiction Podcast and it'll queue up our latest episode for you. So if that is where you want to listen to podcasts, you can definitely check that out on Amazon Music. This past Friday, I had an opportunity to appear as a guest on the Introverts Corner. Now, this is a YouTube channel run by Chantel Murr and Susan Scott Shelley. You may remember them. They were two of my co-authors in the Hockey Allies Bachelor Bid Auction series, and they asked me to come on to one of their pairings episode. This is such a wonderful idea. They pair books with wine and food. The book I decided to talk about is an older book of mine called Somewhere on Mackinac, which is kind of a a gay romance with a somewhere in time kind of backdrop to it. And I had a wonderful time talking to Susan and Chantel about that. And I so wish I could have been there in person because the, the food and wine pairing they did for this book was so spot on perfect. So you could check that out on the Introverts Corner YouTube channel. And of course, I'll have a link to that in the show notes for you. And our last news bit, coming up this Thursday, October 1st at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific, is going to be the very first episode of Big Gay Fiction Live, something new we're going to be trying out this fall. And we're super excited that in this first episode, we're going to be hosting the Wittershins role-playing game Kickstarter launch. Jordan L. Hawk's Wyborn and Griffin series is turning into a role-playing game, and Jordan's going to be here along with the game creators. It's going to be a lot of fun. You'll have a chance to ask some questions about the game, and you can find that on our Facebook page Thursday, October 1st at 8 p.m. 5 Pacific, and of course, that'll be in the show notes as well. So we promised you a whole lot of recommendations this week, and we're going to kick that off with some things that we have been watching on TV. Jeff and I usually make a pilgrimage to New York City every summer to see some Broadway. Of course, that couldn't happen this year for obvious reasons. We've recently had to get our Broadway fix online and had the very distinct pleasure of watching the recent London production of Funny Girl on Broadway HD. Now, Funny Girl, the show, and the role of Fanny Bryce is what made Barbra Streisand a star. And most of us are probably familiar with the movie version. I've never actually seen a production of Funny Girl. I've never even seen the movie all the way through, (laughs) so this was quite the treat to get to see finally. And Sheridan Smith, who plays the lead role, is just phenomenal. This is a charming, energy-filled production, and I think it's a real shame that it didn't get a chance to transfer to Broadway. Yeah, I agree. I so much enjoyed it. Um, Really glad it was there to see, having never seen it before, but yet knowing so many of the songs that are in that show. Uh, And now I kind of want to watch the movie someday, too. So definitely something to see if you have a Broadway HD subscription. One of the things we always wanted to see in New York and never got the opportunity to go to is the annual Miscast fundraiser, which is held by the MCC Theater. 
This year was its 20th anniversary of the event, and they went virtual this time out, and we loved being able to see these performances for the first time as they were being rolled out to everybody on a global scale this time. What Miscast is, is is not only their fundraiser, but they set it as an opportunity for Broadway performers to sing songs that belong to characters that they would never get cast for. So it's men singing women's songs. It could be somebody who's older singing something that a child actor might sing. So really some delightful things come out of this. And all of the performances this year are on YouTube, and I'll have a link to a playlist that MCC has. A couple of standouts here that I just want to shout out. Now, Rob McClure, who played Charlie Chaplin on Broadway a few years back, took on Mrs. Lovett from Sweeney Todd singing The Worst Pies in London. Not only was this an outrageously awesome performance, but he also gets the award for making the biggest mess in his kitchen because he's making pies while he sings. Another great one was that the entire original cast of Hairspray reunited to do the telephone song from Bye Bye Birdie. It was so freaking adorable. And Heather Headley closed the show with a really moving performance of the song Endless Night from The Lion King. Now, Heather was the original Nala in that production, and Endless Night is one of Simba's songs, and it was a really wonderful performance. So check that out on YouTube, because there's some really incredible performances there this year from the Miscast fundraiser. Something else Jeff and I have been binge-watching recently is Julie and the Phantoms on Netflix. This show packs so much heart into its very first season. It is charming. It's delightful. Everyone in the cast is amazing. It's about a young teenager named Julie who discovers the ghosts of three boys are living in her garage. They were bandmates who died back in 1995, but they've come back because they've got unfinished business. Hilarity and music ensues. The show, like I said, is charming and it's funny. It's jam-packed with a lot of great music. And a special interest to listeners of this show, there's a little bit of gay romance as well. Alex, one of the band members, is openly gay. And one day, while walking down Hollywood Boulevard, he runs into Willie, the skateboarding cutie pie. Their romance is adorable, but their relationship leads to complications. Indeed, it does. And they need to hurry up with season two because I need to know more immediately. Yeah, it's a great show for the whole family. We recommend that everyone check out Julie and the Phantoms, available right now on Netflix. Recently, we've also partook of Cinema Diverse. This is the Palm Springs LGBTQ Film Festival that this year went virtual. Jeff and I got some passes, and we watched some really terrific movies. First up is Monsoon, which is a movie you may have heard about. This independent movie stars Henry Golding, who takes a trip to Vietnam to spread his mother's ashes. As of this moment, this movie is scheduled to have a wide release in November. And really, my only thoughts about Monsoon is that I didn't hate it, but I didn't love it either. It's essentially a travelogue of Henry Golding walking around Vietnam... Or riding a scooter taxi around Vietnam. Oh, wait, there's a moment where he rides a train to Hanoi in Vietnam. <laughs> it's really a long, protracted travel log where nothing actually happens. He's not lying about that. Yeah, I neither loved it nor hated it. I will give it bonus points for Henry Golding walking around looking all scruffy because that was not a bad thing to look at for an hour and a half. Yeah, sorry to report we can't give that one exactly a ringing endorsement, but one movie that we did absolutely adore is the Halloween rom-com Out of Body, which features friends of the podcast, Jason T. Gaffney and Kevin Held. They joined us all the way back in episode 180, where they talked about the making of this particular project. Kevin's character may or may not be dead and forced to haunt his very best friend, who may or may not be completely head over heels in love with him. Yes, there's a lot of may or may not going on here. It is hilarious. I can see why you love the book so much. The book adaptation was done by Suzanne Brockman. It's just a wonderfully funny, delightful, lighthearted film, and I fell so hard for this movie. I look forward to it getting a wider release so that everybody can enjoy it. Yeah. When smaller movies hit the festival circuit and play at events like Cinema Diverse, their hope is to catch the attention of distributors so that they can find a wider audience, whether on a streaming service or on DVD. And while Out of Body is not yet available on either of those, you can, of course, read the novelization that Jeff just mentioned. 
Kevin and Jason are featured narrators in the audiobook of that particular novelization. So if you're interested in what Out of Body has to offer, you can check out the book and audio right now. One other movie that we watched with passes to this particular event was called Stone Fruit. And this is a drama about Russ and Manny, a couple who are getting a divorce and decide to celebrate with a trip through wine country. The forced proximity of the car ride and lots of day drinking lead to lots of emotional, heartfelt revelations and what being in a true relationship is like for these two men. I really enjoyed this movie. I wasn't too sure about it originally because you don't always want to see a couple fall apart. But this was a really interesting relationship drama. These guys had a lot to work through and they did it in a way that was really interesting to watch. And we're so much about romance on this show that occasionally it's interesting to see kind of the other side of that. This was a really, really well done movie that I think a lot of people will enjoy because it's funny and it's got heart. It really reminded me of the work of Andrew Haig, who you might know from his movie Weekend or the HBO series Looking. Stone Fruit, like the work of Andrew Haig, is very dialogue heavy. So it uses words and conversations to explore ideas both big and small including in this particular case, the sort of disillusion of a relationship. In addition to some great movies, we actually watched a couple of documentaries as well. City of Queens is an emotional look at the London drag scene. It follows several different performers and details how they make their real life work alongside their nightlife. We also watched a documentary called Bear. This was a French film about a choreographer creating a new piece And it was shot in the Cinema Verite style, meaning that there's no traditional documentary narrative elements. There are no talking heads explaining what their story is all about. We don't even know the choreographer's name or any of the dancers' names. It's just like, boom, the camera is right there. And we're witnessing the creative process from audition to the final performance. The documentary's title comes from the fact that Everyone performing in this particular dance piece is going to be nude. And aside from that one titillating aspect, the movie has a kind of a fly-on-the-wall aspect, which is at turns both intriguing and a little bit boring. (laughs) I don't know how else to describe it. So very true. (laughs) This was not my favorite. And last, we saw a wonderful film called Who's on Top? And this was about a group of four queer people who got together to summit Mount Hood in Oregon. This documentary is much more traditional. We learn about each of the four participants, the sort of how and the why they want to take up this particular challenge, leading up to the actual event itself, Climbing Mount Hood. I really liked this movie. I mean, having taken on a couple of physical challenges myself when I was younger, between learning how to play hockey and doing the AIDS ride from Boston to New York... Those efforts had nothing on summiting Mount Hood. It was an extremely well-done documentary. You you understand why these people are doing it and the, the physical intensity of doing such a thing. I really, really enjoyed it. It wrapped up our film festival really nicely. So that's what Jeff and I have been watching recently. Now I'd like to talk about a book that I've read this past week. Now, traditionally, when I talk about books and review them, it's kind of a straightforward process. I can tell you about the characters did A, B, and C, which led to the moment where they say, I love you, and everything leads to happily ever after. And that's a pretty easy formula when it comes to talking about romance books. But in the case of Better Than People by Roan Parrish, there's something a little bit more subtle and emotional going on. The story is about Jack, and he is your average lovable grouch. And he has a menagerie of animals. This is a pet-heavy book. So if you love dogs or cats, just press pause right now and then go get this book. (laughs) I'll wait for you to come back. Okay, so lovable grouch Jack. While he's taking care of his animals, he breaks his leg. So he needs someone to come in and help wrangle all of his furry friends. Enter Simon. He is a nice guy, but he happens to have crippling anxiety. The most mundane everyday tasks are really difficult for him, especially when dealing with people. So it's a minor miracle that he manages to work up the courage to get on a pet matching app and find Jack, who needs his help. Things don't get off to a great start. Jack comes off as gruff and impatient, while Simon, who is unable to mutter even a single word, seems aloof and distant. 
But eventually, as the days and the weeks go on, they learn more about each other and, of course, fall in love. Now, that's just a kind of a pat overarching explanation of what's going on. This book is about genuine and emotional and the small moments in which two people can learn to grow and trust one another. It's really wonderful and magical, and I haven't read a book like this in quite some time. There's a feeling of kindness and safety as Jack and Simon get to know one another. It's like a warm blanket. Now, eventually, after a few months, Jack gets his cast off, and he believes that this is a reason to celebrate. But for Simon, it spells doom, meaning that Jack will no longer need him and no longer want to be in a relationship. They eventually overcome this misunderstanding, and Jack, over the course of the book, realizes how special Simon truly is in the way that he uniquely has to navigate the world. What this book really manages to do in a really wonderful and unique way is explore the idea that, of course, Simon doesn't need to be fixed. It's about how these two men make each other better. And I thought something that was really special is is that both Jack and Simon have things in their past that they need to work through in order to fall in love. And Simon's crippling anxiety is a serious subject matter, but it's handled in an approachable way. I don't know how else to describe it. It's certainly not in a heavy-handed, angsty, very special episode kind of deal. There's a lot of sensitivity at play and a lot of kindness. I know that's kind of a bland word, but this book is unrelentingly kind and nice, which is something I know that I have needed recently, especially after the last few weeks. So kudos to Roan Parrish for creating two remarkable characters and their lovable menagerie of furry friends. I listened to this book in audio. It was narrated by a guy named James Cavanaugh. What I thought was really exceptional about his work here is that he takes these tiny moments between Jack and Simon, and he really seems to get the simplicity of the emotion. He takes those quiet moments and makes them big, not in a melodramatic way, but in a way that brings us along as readers and listeners. So I really enjoyed Better Than People. I think it's a magical romance that actually, it takes place over the course of several months, and it happens to end in the holiday season. So if you haven't read it yet, put this on your TBR. I think this is going to be a wonderful book for the end of the year. And of course, Will mentioned the audiobook for Better Than People. And that book, along with the audiobook novelization of Out of Body, are both available in audio from Libro.fm. Now, when you purchase audiobooks from Libro.fm, you are helping local independent bookstores. And of course, we like that a whole bunch. All you need to do to use Libro.fm is a smartphone and the free app. Listeners of the Big Gay Fiction podcast can get a two-month audiobook membership for the price of one month. All you have to do to take advantage of that is go to biggayfiction.com slash Libro.fm. That's L-I-B-R-O-F-M. Or you can click the link that's in the show notes page for that. And speaking of show notes, if you're interested in learning more about the books or the movies that we've talked about in this episode, all you have to do is go to the show notes page for episode 260 at BigGayFictionPodcast.com. Hey, everybody. This is Kelly Reynolds, and I host Boobies and Newbies, part of the Frolic Podcast Network. Every episode, I invite a romance reading newbie to read and review their very first romance novel alongside me, a self-proclaimed romance novel addict. In just two seasons, we've covered a little bit of everything, from Alyssa Cole's Civil War-era romance, An Extraordinary Union. If we remade When Harry Met Sally and cast Gabrielle Union and, yeah. John, and John Cho. Oh my God, I would so watch that. <laughs> to the badass lady billionaires in Lucy Scores' The Price of Scandal. That would just like make my day as if you had this big, buff British man in your tub. Not to mention our steamy spotlight episodes, where we discuss topics in and around Romance Landia and even interview some of our favorite romance authors. Find and follow us on social media at Boobies Podcast and catch up on previous episodes on your favorite podcast streaming platform. It is always a wonderful time when Jay from Joyfully Jay and Lisa from the Novel Approach come to talk about books. My TBR grows just by exponential proportions when they're here. Hang on to your wallet or your pocketbook because that's probably about to happen to you right now as they give us six books that should be on our TBRs for this fall 
unless you've already read them and then you're already ahead of the game there. <laughs> Lisa and Jay, welcome back. It's good to have you here again. Hi, Jeff. Hi. It's hard to believe it's been three months since you were here last. We last saw you as we were in the midst of our Pride Month celebration. Oh, that's right. Yeah. So now we're here into fall as this actually airs. So let's talk about some books you guys have been reading. And Lisa, we'll kick it off with you this time. My first book is a book called Honey Trap by Astor Glenn Gray. And this book is a book that I happened to run across the author on Twitter, fell in love with the cover, was really intrigued by the blurb, and it turned out to be such a great read. It's a, a historical, a more modern historical. It takes place, it begins in 1959 and spans the Cold War era. And this book is about uh, two, one FBI agent, Daniel Hawthorne, and his Soviet counterpart, Gennady Matskevich. That's oh my nice. goodness, that's a name. <laughs> <laughs> and this, it, it, it actually has a, a little bit of fact included in it. In 1959, when the story begins, Nikita Khrushchev came to the United States. And he did, he toured around the United States. And this kind of revolves around his whistle stop tour. And one of the stops on the tour, there is an assassination attempt, which was very poorly executed. It was unsuccessful. But of course, now the FBI and the Soviet Union want to find out who this assassin was. So Daniel and Gennady, are, I don't know if I'm saying that right, but anyway, I apologize to anybody, but they are paired together. And of course, at that particular point in time, the sort of truce in the Cold War is not really a truce as much as it's you try to find you try to find some blackmail material on the FBI agent and the FBI agent try to find some blackmail material on the so they have to pretend like they're being friendly but while they're doing this investigation they are trying to find you know things dirty little secrets and things that they can share with the governments the respective governments and one of Gennady's directives from his boss is to try to honey trap Daniel so he's supposed to try to seduce Daniel into a compromising position. And so it's basically, it's just, it's a, it's a kind of a forced proximity sort of relationship that builds as they get to know each other and they still have their suspicions and they're still trying to do their jobs, but they're also kind of forming this bond and a friendship. And it follows them from 1959 through years of separation because of, of the political climate at the time, in order for Gennady to have stayed in the United States, he would have had to defect from Russia, from the Soviet Union. And he was still very attached to his home and his country. And so they, he leaves and then they come back together in 1970, mid-1970s, I think 1975. But there's a long span between the time that they are separated. They've both gone on to be married and have you know, separate lives. Daniel is happily married. He has a wife. He has children. Gennady, not so much. His wife, the travel and his job being out of the country so often that his marriage is crumbling. Um, but there is also a, there's a polyamory angle to the story then with Daniel and his wife is very open, kind of swinging seventies, you know, anything <laughs> goes. And so she really pushes Daniel and Gennady together when Gennady comes back to the United States. And so they begin kind of rekindle their affair and, you know, they realize how deep their feelings are for each other. And then everything implodes again and Gennady goes back to the Soviet Union. And uh, so, yeah, then it, eventually it ends up in 1992, end of the Cold War, Berlin Wall has fallen, the Soviet Union has dissolved and Gennady uh, comes back and they uh, to the U.S. and they are able to meet again. And at that particular point in time, their lives are ready to, 
you know, it's the right time, right place, their lives are ready to converge. So it's kind of got that, this bittersweet all along the way until you finally get to the happy ending. But Honey Trap by Aster Glenn Gray, she does a great job of giving you some history without it being a, a history lesson. There's, you know, there's not a whole lot of detail, but you know, I was, in, you know, 19, mid seventies, I was 10 years old. And so I don't really remember a whole lot about that era of the Cold War, but I certainly do remember when, you know, Gorbachev tore down the Berlin Wall, you know, the, the people coming out with their pickaxes and sledgehammers and East and West Berlin coming together. So it was kind of fun to read a historical, a modern historical where you kind of remember some of the things that, that were going on at the time. And so, yeah, it was a great book, Honey Trap, Astor Glenn Gray. I thought it was a lot of fun. I know that I've seen people talking about it online. I'll have to check it out. Yeah, the cover is great too. That was one of the first things when I saw the cover and the title, I thought, oh, this looks like it's going to be a lot of fun. And it really was. It was good. You've been mentioning a couple of times recently, finding books on Twitter specifically, is it because you're following certain authors or certain groups or is it just no, happenstance? It just happens. I'll be scrolling through, you know, doom scrolling <laughs> through my Twitter and all of a sudden I'll see, you know, I'll just see a book where I'm not following the author, but maybe someone who I follow has retweeted the post or has liked it. And so it shows up on my feed. And I have had some of the best luck with finding great books just happening across them on Twitter. So that's why I would say, don't listen to anybody who says Twitter doesn't sell books. because it <laughs> If nothing else, it's selling books to you. <laughs> I have found so many great books just by chance, just scrolling through Twitter and they happen to show up on my feed. That's amazing. So, yeah. yeah. I need to doom yeah. scroll on Twitter more often. That's cool. So Jay, what's up first? All right, my first one is a book that I'm sure both of you either have read or are going to read, but I did just finish it, and that is the latest by Gregory Ash, The Same Breath. Have either of you read it yet? Amazing. Oh, my Amazing. gosh. You're going to review a Gregory Ash book. You are stepping into Lisa territory. <laughs> I, just put, I just put that aside, and now I get to add back my Regency. Oh, is that? Yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. Yes, I was thinking, I but I wonder if either of them are going to want to talk about it. Okay, so absolutely loved it. Gregory Ash obviously is a uh, author that all of us really enjoy. This is the start of a new series. And so the premise here is that Teen is a um, wildlife resource sort of manager, veterinarian in Salt Lake City. And uh, one of his coworkers has recently been killed on the job. And he's sort of looking into it and trying to figure out what's happening there. And alongside him is the other character is named um, Jem, who is sort of a grifter, con artist kind of thing, grew up with a really troubled past, spent his life in foster care, and now sort of makes ends meet by doing small-time cons you know, around the city. And his foster brother, Benny, is has some mental health issues and is very interested in the environment, and he sort of is constantly coming to teen into the other officials talking about, you know, conspiracies about animals being killed and poaching and fish are dying and all of this. So when um, Jem, then Benny is also killed and Jem, his sort of first stop is to go to Teen's office and see if he can find anything out because he thinks there might be a connection based on all of the latest things that Benny has been ranting about. So the two of them kind of team up to try to figure out what happened to Benny, especially as they sort of put the pieces together that maybe Teen's co-worker is connected. And um, so the mystery part of the story is following along as they're investigating. And what I think that Greg does really well is there's a large cast of potential bad guys. And as you go through the story, it really takes a lot of twists and turns as you figure out who all these different players are. And each of them have a potential piece where, you know, they could be the culprit. And so I think the mystery part is done really interesting as you watch all of that come together and the setting, you know, in Salt Lake City and they're in the mountains. And I'm not really familiar with that area at all. So I thought that was also really well done. Just the atmosphere of the community, what it's like there, you know, obviously a big Mormon presence and teen is a lapsed Mormon, basically kicked out by his parents once they, once he came out. He has a lot of 
sort of issues, self-doubt issues that come along with that as well. And But what I think is really interesting, even beyond the mystery, is the character development in this, which I think in general, Gregory is really good at that balance of the characters and the story. But in this one, really, I think what spoke to me even more than the mystery was the character development, because these are such fascinating guys. Like, Teen has definitely some, you know, he's in a not so great relationship. He's definitely got some sort of self-doubt, some self-loathing. He's also like the total Eeyore character. Like anything you say to him, he's like, well, 50,000 people might have just died from that cheeseburger that you ate. And he sort of turns off a lot of people with his, you know, pessimism, which is sort of a defense mechanism, I think. And what's fun is that Jem just like takes it all in stride and sort of turns it around almost into a joke and balances out that negativity you know they both have trust issues they both have people who have hurt them the whole time we know that jem is keeping his trio identity away from you know teen he told him he's a a businessman from california that came in to look in on his brother so we know this big you know axe is about to fall at some point that teen's going to find out what really um the truth about jem so there's a lot of really interesting interpersonal dynamics that i thought here that for me was actually the highlight of the book even beyond the mystery and of course because it's a gregory ash book we don't quite get resolution i'll just say on the relationship end the um, mystery ties up but the relationship is still ongoing. So he didn't quite have me cursing his name as much as I do sometimes when his books end because it's not really a cliffhanger, but the relationship isn't fully resolved and will obviously play out over future books. Mm I I 1000% agree with you. Every single thing you said, you know, one 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 of the things that really stuck out to me in this book, and I don't know why it did, but you mentioned Salt Lake City and how much the setting of his books influence who the characters are. Oh, like, for sure. Hazard and Somerset would not be Hazard and Somerset in Columbus, Ohio. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, his, and these characters wouldn't have been who they are anywhere but Salt Lake City. Yes, like very much shaped by their integral. And, and uh, when you were talking about Tian's dread riffing, when he would just constantly kind of get in this negative cycle, was kind of funny, but yet it wasn't funny. Haha! It was the it was the humor that masks the pain. Right, right. And and I he does that really, really, really well in this in all of his books. I think, you know, but the Borealis series he does it so well. But how this really was kind of one of those stark reminders of how humor isn't always funny. Humor is sometimes a defense mechanism, and it really worked for for Tian so so well. Yeah. Gorgeous book. I'm so excited for November. I can't wait for the next one. Yes, me too. Where's the darkness level in this book? Because, and Greg knows this because I've told him, like, I had to move away from Union of Swords because it was too dark for where I am right now. I don't think it's Brutal. as dark as Hazard and Somersets. Not I, at all. I think it, it's much, uh, maybe closer to Borealis. I, I, it's not, I mean... The ending, you know, again, it's not everything isn't resolved, but sure. it does. I don't think it has that level of darkness or sort of angsty intensity. And certainly there's not that conflict between the characters where there's sort of always one thing after another happening to them. It's much smoother, I think, than that. I think it's I think it's even lighter than the Borealis series only mm. because you had there was so much history between North and Shaw is way lighter than Hazard and Somerset. But the, the history between Shaw and North and that constant undercurrent between them gave me so much anxiety. I think with Jem and, and Tian, with them getting to know each other and you, you kind of get more of the external tension of, mm-hmm. of you know knowing what's happened over here with Jem and this person who I'm not going to say who it is, but also that person, you know, it connects to Tian as well. So you know that there are just going to be secrets that explode mm-hmm. sooner or later, and it's going to cause, it's going to cause some heartache and it's going to cause some tension mm-hmm. between them. I didn't feel like it. I didn't feel like this one was angsty at all. I think That's... that, like I said, there's sort of this, there's these two secrets, you know, one that I mentioned, the one that Elise is alluding to, that we know as readers. So we know something's coming, mm-hmm. but 
the relationship between them actually develops very happily. Um, right. And they have a nice dynamic in the sense that Jem is really able to sometimes pull Teen out of that sort of, I guess, sort of almost the equivalent of the doom scroll, but sort of that spiral where he's, red spiral. Really, yeah. um, you know, right. He's sort of obsessing over things. And then, you know, Teen gives, lets him, Jem sort of take down that facade that he has with everybody else. You know, he's on, he's charming. What do you like, do you know, mimic facial expressions, you know, repeat people's names. You know, he has this whole thing that he does to, you know, sort of his marks. And with Teen, he can actually just let that go. So actually, I think it's a very sort of happy, positive relationship as long as you know that there's secrets and some things they're keeping from each other that are going to come out. Well, I would oh, expect that in a Greg book anyway, so. That is so, so sweet. Um, <laughs> I just can't wait. I cannot wait until the next book. <laughs> so, Lisa, back over to you. And you've added a book back in now that you kind of buddy reviewed one of them. Same breath. I'm cheating and I had added another book back in. Um, this one is another historical, more, you know, more along my, my lines of historical reading. It's a Regency romance slash mystery called His Lordship's Secret. It's book one in His Lordship's Mysteries series by Samantha Sorrell. And again, this is another one where I just happened to run across it on Twitter, thought it sounded great, loved the cover, loved the blurb, so I gave it a shot and it paid off. This particular book, it's it's another one of those books that involves lots of secrets. So, so Sir uh, Alfred Pennington is the Earl of Crawford. And there is a lot of uh, backstory with Alfie's character that comes into play as someone tries to kill him. And he starts receiving blackmail letters. And the blackmail, the inferences in the blackmail part of the story, you're, he's not quite sure if it involves who he, who he is as the Earl of Crawford or if, if someone is blackmailing him because they have discovered that he's gay. And so he goes, uh, when, when the assassination attempt happens, he goes on the search for a bodyguard. And so he goes to a, an underground bare knuckle boxing venue and is, is ready to hire one of the fighters as his bodyguard. And as synchronicity would have it, it turns out that one of the fighters is someone from Alfie's past, someone who uh, Alfie just loves deeply. And so Dominic is this the person from Alfie's past. And I don't want to give too much away because their pasts really are, are a huge part of this story. And I, I don't want to I don't want to give too much of it away. But it, as it turns out, Dominic agrees to be Alfie's bodyguard. And so you get into a lot of the how does how, how does this guy who, you know, makes his living on the streets bare knuckle illegal bare knuckle boxing for cash and the earl of crawford a, a member of the you know the aristocracy in regency england how do they work because there's no reason for them you know to associate with each other they are from diametrically opposed uh, ends of the spectrum when it comes to their role in the English society during that time. And so so the the mystery and their proximity, their forced proximity, close proximity, again, is that kind of trope in there is them trying to figure out who's blackmailing and trying to kill Alfie. And so you get a lot of the suspense and the danger around the mystery, but also then the sweetness of them uh, re rekindling their friendship and, and sharing their memories with each other from before when they were just young boys and how Dominic was always Alfie's protector, you know? So, so they have, they just, it, it, you get that very sweet background uh, along with kind of the, the suspense and the tension of this mystery of trying to figure out who it is who wants to do harm to Alfie. And then when it comes out, 
uh, when the resolution happens, when you figure out who it was, it was such a great twist that I didn't see it coming at all. So that was fun too. It just a really fun twist to the mystery, the sweet relationship, their backgrounds, all kind of really came together to build this just emotional attachment to the characters. And so his Lordship Secret, Samantha Sorrell, it was really a fun historical read. I really enjoyed it and I'm looking forward to the sequel. Nice. Those are some of my favorite historicals, the kind where it's not just opposites attract where you've got the upper, you know, when you add the class to the opposites yeah. attract, it gets even more interesting. It's nicey, right? Because what excuse do you have to go out and have a meal together? You don't, you know? Yeah. yeah. So the bodyguard angle kind of helped in that a little bit as well. But yeah, it's it still, you know, they couldn't go out as peers. Right, because there's not your bodyguard sitting down maybe across the table from you. The bodyguard right. needs to be over yeah, there somewhere. Right, exactly, exactly. Yeah, it reminds me when you were saying, I think we talked about this at either our February or our June call about um, the Ali Fearon book that had the same issue. There was this sort of class conflict that made these two guys feel like, you know, they're already in an established relationship, but they have to hide it from everybody because it doesn't make any sense publicly that they would even know each other, let alone that they would be friends, forget you know, forget romantic partners. So exactly. yes, I think it's an interesting conflict. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, so that was a fun one. That was really good. I'm glad I got to add it back in. Thank you for doing the same breath. <laughs> <laughs> I almost asked you before. I was like, I wonder if Liz is going to talk about <laughs> If we talk and there's no Gregory Ashbrook mentioned, something's wrong. He, he releases one every three months, right? He releases a book every three He's months. making so me crazy because I'm like, A, I can't keep up, and B, I can't read You Know Swords right now, so slow down. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So I'm going for my second book sort of complete diametrically opposed to my first one, and I'm going to talk about Alice Winters. I don't know if I've talked about Alice Winters' books here before. I'm a big fan. She writes Romantic Suspense, often with a heavy layer of comedy. Mm -hmm. And this series, um, Hitman's Guide series, is definitely one that falls heavily on the comedic side in addition to the suspense. So this is the third book in the series. And the setup here is that Leland is a um, former assassin. And he grew up with basically like a handler who was his I guess, adopted family who trained him to be an assassin. And um, he meets Jackson, who's a private investigator in the first book, when they're both sort of working the same case from different angles. Leland is actually looking to put a hit on one of the guys they're investigating, whereas Jackson is investigating it through sort of more legal means. But they run into each other, and that's sort of what kicks off their relationship. So now we're three books in, and they are, you know, in love and living together. And this one is called Hitman's Guide to Tying the Knot Without Getting Shot. So they all have very, <laughs> very long titles. title. Um, <laughs> And so, you know, Leland has gone straight or as straight as Leland can and is working with Jackson in his PI office. And Jackson gets shot and nobody knows why. No one can figure out who's trying to kill Jackson and why. So that's really the mystery of the story, which I won't, you know, reveal too much about. But the mystery is, you know, who's even after him. They have no idea that he's a target. They don't know why he's a target. Soon they find out that there's a hit on him. And what I really loved about this one is that, well, I should just to backtrack to say that these are very comedic, almost to the point of absurdity. So you sort of have to like that banter. There's a lot of snarky banter. There's a lot of silliness. It's over the top humor, which I like because it really balances nicely with that suspense. So that really is sort of the overriding emotion to a lot of the book and what or to a lot of the series. But what I really liked here is the emotional connection between the guys really comes out in this book in a way that even more than in the other stories. And you know, when Jackson is shot, Leland is literally ready to burn down the world. I mean, he the idea that somebody has harmed this man that he loves, and of course he's, you know, sort of beyond ethics and you know, is going out and tearing the streets apart, trying to figure out what's happening. And eventually Jackson sort of reins him in and says, okay, we're gonna like investigate this legally and not just, you know, start doing all the crazy things that Leland does. So I really loved this one in particular because 
the bond between the two of them, the way they love each other, the way that they are open and talk about it with each other and share their feelings. And you can see that connection is so strong and it's just killing Leland that Jackson is at risk and Jackson is equally worried that Leland is um, going to sort of put safety and planning and everything else aside and just dash into the fray because he's so worried about Jackson. So it's a really nice, it's a really nice balance, again, between the comedy. I mean, Leland is crazy. He does crazy things. Jackson mostly laughs it off and puts up with, like, the outrageous things that Leland says and does because he adores him. And so he adores, you know, Jackson's mostly the straight man, but, you know, he adores everything Leland does so much. But then there's also this just underlying connection. And, you know, as the title indicates, so this, I'm not a... Spoiling anything here, tying the knot without getting shot. There is a happy event in the story, and it just is a really nice balance of all three of those elements. The humor and outrageousness, the mystery and the suspense as they figure out what's happening, and then the romance between them. So this is probably my favorite or maybe my second favorite Alice Winter series. Um, You really will want to read it from the beginning because they... Um, follow the same couple all the way through and you get to see the background about Leland and really what has shaped him and how the relationship has grown out of it. But this, I think, was one of my favorites of the series just because of the way it really brought that emotion into it. I really want to read this series. The series as a whole is, it bubbles along in my TBR because I love was it In Darkness? Is that what her first series yes. is called? I yes. loved In Darkness loved and her tone of the of how she writes that blend of romantic suspense and snark and fun and comedy. Yes. And I mean, it's all in the title of these yes. books, exactly what yes. you're going to get. And if you like In Darkness, this series is very much in keeping with that. I figured. <laughs> I'll get there eventually. <laughs> Yeah. They're long books. You got to make some time. Yeah, exactly. They are not short at all. It's like, you know, hours and hours. Even when you speed, if you speed up an audiobook, it's still. <laughs> all right, Lisa, what have you got for the finale? I'm so glad I get to come back to this series again. On the Wings of War, Soulbound Book Five by Haley Turner. Right, right. Such a good series. This series is some of the most superior urban fantasy I have ever read. And just when I think that she could not pull any more characters or beings or gods or goddesses from mythology and folklore, she does. And just she knows more mythology and legend and lore than I could have possibly even forgotten in my lifetime. The world building in this series is some of the most impressive I've ever read. She goes into, I I don't want to say this in that she goes into such minute detail because it doesn't read slowly like you're like, it's like, oh my gosh, okay, well, let me just skim past this because every single thing that she includes in her books is just integral in some way to the overall uh, story arc in this series, which is the Morgan staff and Patrick Collins, special agent Patrick Collins. His father is like the epitome of just evil. And whoever gets control of the Morgan staff is basically going to control the world. And so they are trying to keep the Morrigan staff out of Ethan Green's hands because if if he gets it, that's the end. That is just, the, you know, the end of humankind, basically. Persephone owns Patrick's soul and he is beholden basically to her. And so his soul was damaged and she basically made it possible for him to, to live, basically. So, so Patrick has always been this very kind of disaffected kind of guy who didn't have really close connections. And then he meets Jonathan DeVere, who is a werewolf. And he has a God writing his soul, basically. So so the building of their relationship and Jonathan's God pack in New York City and the people who are now members of that pack 
who are Wade, who is a dragon, who is just an absolute delight and, and Sage, who is an attorney and she's a were tiger and she's just badass and I love her and Merrick, who is her fiance and he's an Oracle. And so the, it is this kind of building of family now where Patrick is kind of starting to realize that he belongs to something bigger than just, just him and his bond with Persephone. In this particular segment, you get, uh, again, Haley Turner, that just, she writes an action sequence so beautifully. Oh and so gosh. her fight scenes are just phenomenal. And so you she get this book. Yeah. Yeah. And so you get so absorbed in these fight scenes and they're so beautifully choreographed and they're so beautifully written. And, you know, she throws in some zombies and the Baba Yaga and, <laughs> It's just, you know, it's just like you just can't imagine that there could be more packed into this world and be able to consume it all. And yet you still just keep eating it up because she just makes it so incredibly absorbing every single time. And so this is really kind of a there's also kind of this the, you know, the enemy of my enemy is my friend vibe going on with the vampires in New York City. And it is just, it's just all of the layers and all of the machinations and all of these little things going on in the background. I mean, the Valkyrie come in and they're just, you know, these badass warrior women. And, and motorcycles, right. Yeah, it's North Norse mythology. It's Celtic mythology. It's Russian mythology, Aztec mythology. I mean, there's just so many different wells that she draws from in order to bring this series and bring it every single book, time after time after time. So this, yeah, On the Wings of War, of course, you know, that title in and of itself is kind of indicative of what's coming. And so, yeah, it's, it, it, I think there's, I think this is going to end up being a seven book series. Yeah, and, that's my understanding as well. This is book five. Yeah. And it has to be read from book one. You can't jump into the middle of this series. It has to be read from book one. And it's just a really, really compelling, superbly written urban fantasy series. So On the Wings of War, Haley Turner, Soulbound Book Five, excellent. One of the things you mentioned, this you know, the Slavic mythology, but each story sort of centers on a different sort of pantheon, which I really mm -hmm. like. You know, we have Norse, we have Celtic, and then here we're dealing with Slavic. So I really like the way that she incorporates that mythology. It's not just centered sort of on your traditional, you know, Greek and Roman kind of gods. It really brands a scope and brings in a lot of diversity in that way as well, which is sort of fun. All right. So my last book that I want to talk about, actually read it last month, even, I think, and just I went crazy for it. The Fantastic Fluke by Sam Burns. Have, have either of you read? Okay. Uh -huh. So the setup here is that Sage grew up, lost his mom as sort of a young teen and was brought to live with his father who he had never met. This is a paranormal sort of supernatural world. So magic is alive in this world and Sage has exhibited very minor magical powers. So his father has basically been disinterested in him his entire life, starting from the fact that he abandoned them, you know, when Sage was born and has made it clear that he doesn't think Sage is worth his time. And so when the book opens, his father has actually just died and Sage has inherited his bookstore, which on one hand, he loves because he loves running a bookstore, but on the other, he sort of feels like he's just sort of following along what's expected of him. He really hasn't found his place. He's very alone. You know, he has a best friend, but he really, you know, he's lost his family. And so one day he is walking, you know, down the street and he sees people in an alley who are abusing what he figured learns is a fox. And um, he takes the fox um, home to sort of take care of it and he assumes that the fox is a magical familiar because the familiar sort of chooses the witch and so he figures this clearly very smart and obviously not typical fox must be a familiar and so he's trying to figure out who um, the fox belongs to as he's you know going about his you know his business and then at the same time, he gets a ghost who appears in his bookshop. And the ghost is Gideon, who is sort of a gunslinger, you know, Wild West sort of outfit, clearly, you know, in sort of 1800s, you know, sort of Wild West kind of ghost. And Gideon tells him that 
in fact, Sage has more magic than he realized and that Gideon has been sent to sort of train him on how to use it. And um, Gideon is a really interesting character because we learn that he has been training multiple witches and every time he trains somebody before they're able to sort of train their next apprentice, they die. So Gideon keeps getting sort of called back up from the afterlife to come. And so one person after another, you know, has disappeared and he never knows what's happened to him. He just knows he's back again and there's somebody else he has to train. So, you know, the premise of the story sort of follows along as Gideon is teaching Sage about his magic and then there's bad guys who are um, out to stop him. And there's a whole sort of suspense plot that goes along with Sage and his magic and what does it really do and why do these guys want to stop it? And there's a lot of secrets that they uncover along the way. So lots of layers and really interesting world building with regards to the magic, as well as sort of in with regard to this mystery and what's happening and what's really going on. But I think what really is interesting here is also the interplay between the men because Gideon is non-corporeal sage can see him but he has no body he's not going to be you know most people can't even see him and so and they know that not only is he a ghost so really inhibits you know physical relationship if nothing else he also knows that his time is limited that as soon as you know sage is trained he'll disappear again just like he always does so there's this pattern so we know there's like this time limit on this relationship for what's going to happen and so watching them develop this connection is just really sweet and it's a great relationship dynamic but also the sense of the found family that comes out of all of this because sage is very much alone he was close with his mother who's gone his father has always you know not cared for him he doesn't really have anybody and then suddenly he has gideon he reconnects with somebody else that adds I don't want to go into give that part away that you know as another relationship and then he has this relationship with the fox who is fluke that's the fox's name which is the connection to the title and you know Gideon keeps telling him you know that's not someone's familiar that's your familiar and Sage can't even believe it because he's grown up his whole life sort of thinking of himself as very much unworthy and less than and so he can't even accept the idea that's obvious to everyone else that clearly this fox found him because he's his not because he's lost and so as the book continues you really see that warmth that comes from him finding these connections with all these people and animals and the richness that has come into his life as a result of Gideon, as a result of Fluke, and sort of finding himself again. So I thought that it was amazing. I immediately messaged Sam and I was like, we need more. Um, <laughs> and I'm really excited because I got to be a little bit of a audiobook matchmaker on this one and connected Sam with Joel Leslie, who is one of my favorite narrators. And they just announced that he's going to be doing the audio for this one. So I'm super excited. I feel like I just like made some book babies between between the two of them. So loved it in print. I'm sure it's going to be great in audio. And um, if you enjoy, you know, urban fantasy, the ghosts, the mystery, all of that, it's not necessarily high action, although there's definitely thrilling elements to it. But that sort of urban fantasy sense of the magic sort of woven in and um, the world building. It was really great. It blew me away. One of my favorite books, definitely of the last several months, maybe even one of my top of the year. Nice. Fantastic. That's a good way to to end yeah. to end our segment with one that might be on your best of the year list. Yeah. So. Yeah. Fantastic. Well, this has been, as usual, painful for the TBR. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> But uh, thank you both so much for giving us such good books to to share with everybody. And uh, I look forward to doing it again in December when we do talk the end of year kind of best of thing. It's always great to see you guys. Hi, guys. This week's transcript has been brought to you by our community on Patreon. If you'd like to read the conversation for yourself, simply head on over to the show notes page for this episode at BigGayFictionPodcast.com. And of course, thank you so much to Jay and Lisa for coming to talk about books with us. I always enjoy talking to them and hearing about what they're reading and 
having them on the show together now is so fun because they talk to each other about what they've read, too. It's really a delight to be in on those conversations. Whew. Enough recommendations for you? <laughs> I think that's going to do it for this week's show. Coming up next in episode 261, we will have highlights from the Wittershins RPG live event with Jordan L. Hawk. And just a reminder, if you want to join us live for that event, it'll be on our Facebook page Thursday, October 1st at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 Pacific. And if you can't join us there, you'll be able to catch highlights right here on next week's show. We hope that you've enjoyed this episode and have discovered some new titles to add to your TBR pile. And if not, don't worry, we will be back again next week with more recommendations and author interviews. So until next time, everyone, please stay strong, be safe, and above all else, keep turning those pages and keep reading. Big Gay Fiction Podcast is part of the Frolic Podcast Network. You can find more shows you'll love at frolic.media slash podcasts. New episodes of this show are available every Monday wherever you get your podcasts. You can help support this show with a monthly pledge through Patreon. For more information about joining our community and the bonus content we deliver, check out patreon.com slash biggayfictionpodcast. I'm Kurt Graves. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week.